Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Hey guys, I'm Shelby, host of Addicted to Crime podcast. Join us for deep, chilling dives into the evil nature of criminals, and let's take a closer look at their early life and background to see how they got to the day of the crime. This podcast was created in hopes you pay closer attention to your surroundings and hopefully stay safe. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts or else on the website www.addictedtocrime.org. Happy listening, thanks for your time, and stay safe. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Doe Identify podcast. Today's episode is super special for me because both of the cases I'm covering are being researched by the DNA Doe Project. If you don't already know what the DNA Doe Project is, it's a nonprofit organization that works to identify Jane and John Doe's through DNA matching. All of their research is crowdfunded and both of these cases are currently in need of funding. If either of these cases move you, please consider donating to the case and I will include links in my show notes where you can do this and I will also be donating any revenue that I make from this podcast episode to these cases to do my part as well. Also, please make sure you go ahead and listen to the Addicted to True Crime podcast most recent episode where I am featured. Thank you so much to Shelby for having me on the podcast and helping the Ventura County Jane Doe get a little bit more exposure from your audience and her and I are already planning an episode where we can collab together for my podcast. So I'm super excited for that. But let's go ahead and talk about these unidentified women. On October 24th, 1988, mushroom hunters were exploring the woods of a logging area in Elma, Washington State. Elma, Washington is located in Grays Harbor County and had a population of just over 3,000 people in 1988. As they looked for mushrooms, this group of explorers eventually stumbled upon skeletal remains. These remains ended up belonging to a young woman. When police arrived on scene, they found a gunshot wound in this woman's skull. With no gun found on the scene, reportedly, it was determined this woman was unfortunately murdered. Because of the state of her decomposition, they also determined that she had been deceased between one and six years, which would have been in 1982 and 1987. At the time of her death, this young woman was likely in her 20s, but could have been as old as 40 years old. She was pretty short at 4 foot 10 to 5 foot 2 or 147 to 157 centimeters for those overseas. She was also likely around just 100 pounds at the time of her death. She also had dark brown hair and her number 18 and number 19 teeth were extracted. And she also had an amalgam filling in her number 20 tooth. This is that metallic filling that we still see occasionally to this day, but now we kind of use more of whiter fillings, but they are a little bit more expensive. All of these teeth are on the lower left of your jaw if you're unfamiliar with the diagram of teeth that dentists use. And thankfully, the rest of her dentals are available, which is going to be super helpful for identification. There were several pieces of clothing and jewelry found at the scene. She was wearing a blue Lauren Scott shirt, Venezia black pants, and a floral patterned shirt. I came across a Reddit forum where a user pointed out that Lauren Scott was a men's apparel company. 
This Reddit user let the lead detective know and they decided to send it off for DNA testing in case the shirt belonged to her murderer. She also had brand new Woodbridge shoes on and those were dark blue. For jewelry, she had a 1981 Avon ring that was silver with a pearl on it in a size 6 and a gold earring with 5 blue sapphires. All of the reports say a gold earring, so I think this probably means that the second gold earring wasn't discovered or located on the scene. There are images of this jewelry and Carl Koppelman's rendering includes the clothing she was found in. It is believed this young woman was Asian or Native American. Her unidentified wiki page reports that her skull appeared to belong to the Mongoloid group. I would say this is accurate based on what Carl explained in my interview with him. He explained that you can usually tell which race the skull belongs to, which is how he determines how he wanted his renderings to look. The Grace County Coroner's Office reports that in the 1980s, Elma had a large Cambodian population and this group did a lot of mushroom hunting supposedly, which could have been what this young woman was doing out there in the woods. And then this also confirms that she could be Asian or Native American. That's all the information I could really find on this young woman. There's not too much publicity going on about her, but I'm confident the DNA Doe Project will help us figure out a little bit more about her as they always do with their research. If you have any information on this Jane Doe, please contact Darren Wallace at the Grace Harbor County Sheriff's Department at 360-964-1742. Thank you so much to Nix for continuing to partner with me for my podcast. If you don't know what Nix is, it's a company that has absolutely everything you need so you can be comfortable on an everyday basis in your loungewear no matter what you're doing. Let's be honest, most bras are super uncomfortable and have sharp underwires that just do not allow you to relax at all whatsoever. What's so special about Nix is that they have no underwires in any of their bras. All of their straps are completely adjustable and then they also have at least three to four rows of extender hooks in the back. They have completely changed the game for bras and loungewear, and I myself have five NYX bras, and I absolutely love every single one. Something else I love about NYX is their accurate representation of models on their website. You will have to see for yourself, but everyone is a real human on their website, and they're not perfect models that have been photoshopped for hours on end, and I just appreciate that so much. If you want want $15 off your most comfortable bra ever, use the link in my show notes and go ahead and spoil yourself and get something that you will feel confident in. Thank you so much to NYX for always working with me. It is an absolute pleasure. listened to my podcast for a while, you will know my dogs are literally my children. With them both being rescues, we had no idea what their breeds were, so I ended up doing some digging on doggy DNA tests. I ended up choosing Wisdom Panel, and let me tell you, this experience was so amazing. The results were super fun to receive, and they were actually super helpful in training them. For example, with Ranger being a 
lab mix and already being a husky mix, it makes it way easier to understand their quirky behaviors. Wisdom panel also lets you know if your dog is at risk for any particular diseases and arguably one of the best parts of wisdom panel is they connect you with your dog's family members across the world. So when we tested their DNA, a bunch of little puppies faces popped up and it tells you what percentage of DNA that they share. So it was just so cool. Because I loved my experience with Wisdom Panel, I signed up for their affiliate program so you all can save some money on it and enjoy it as well. You can get $20 off a cat or dog DNA test when you use the link in the episode show notes or you can simply go to share.wisdompanel.com slash podcast to get your coupon code. Let's go ahead and talk about the Pima County Jane Doe now. On June 29th, 2010, in Eloy, Arizona, a police officer attempted to pull over a van, but the van's driver decided to evade police. The driver, who was a man, ended up driving into a farm field where officers lost sight of it. Later that day, they discovered the van and the driver on a dirt road near a canal. The man took police officers to where he said he and the woman jumped in after climbing a fence, and he said she just never came back up. The next morning, her body was found in the same canal. Where her body was located, the water was moving 374 cubic feet per second, and I tried to kind of get an example of what this means because I don't understand, you know, water speed, but to picture how fast this is, one cubic foot foot per second means about seven and a half gallons of water flowing in just one second. So this water was moving incredibly fast and the canal was also 20 feet deep. But this story is so odd to me. I am just wondering, first off, why they evaded police. Second off, why would they have jumped into a canal with fast-moving water after they successfully evaded the police and saw that they were not following them anymore? It just seems like a really random thing to do. And why would they start swimming instead of driving if they had access to a vehicle? I understand that the vehicle was, you know, being looked out for by the police, but you could have just driven away and not swam away. That's really weird to me. And also, why did they choose a body of water that was moving at such a fast speed? I just try to put myself in this situation and I would never just jump into a body of water that's moving so incredibly fast, especially when I have access to a car and the police are no longer following me. Lastly, how did the man survive jumping in and she did not? With this water moving so quickly, it's just weird that he was able to get out and she was not and he just like never saw her again. The story just seems really suspicious to me and we don't know who this man is to this day. I'm sure the police do, but they're just not reporting on who he was. So I'm hoping they're keeping his name under wraps until they can kind of figure out if he's a suspect or not. 
Anyways, Eloy, Arizona is just between Phoenix and Tucson, Arizona, and had a population of around 16,000 people at the time of this Jane Doe's death. Pima County is massive and has several Jane Doe's as well as John Doe's. So if you decide to research this case yourself, please be aware of that. And there are also Jane Doe's from the same year who are unidentified. With her passing just a few hours before being found, we were able to know quite a bit about her. This Jane Doe was very young at just 17 to 25 and was 5'4 or 162 and a half centimeters. She was Hispanic and after looking at her post-mortem image, I completely agree. She had brown eyes and her lips were on the thinner side. She had quite a few freckles, including one above her left eyebrow, just at the arch area. And her post-mortem image is very recognizable. And with her having drowned, it's not graphic in any way. So if you do think this is someone you may know, I would suggest looking at it before calling the police to report it. With her being Hispanic and being so close to the Mexico border, it's worth noting that she could have been an immigrant who was out of touch with her family. I wish we knew more about this random man that she was with and why he decided to evade police, like what the situation was there. I wonder if he knew what her first language was so we had more of an idea if she was an immigrant or if she had just lived in the United States for the rest of her life and got caught up in something you know, some person just trying to evade police that she was hanging out with. Again, the police have not released anything about him other than what I included, which are just his statements and that he was driving a van, but I would be super interested in finding out who he was. The DNA Doe Project is almost done funding her case to begin DNA research, and they are helping Pima County in identifying this woman. Right now, she has 18 missing person exclusions and 17 are from Arizona based on her NamUs page. If you have any information on who this young woman could be, please contact Bruce Anderson at the Pima County Medical Examiner at 520-724-8633. And before we go, I did ask my Instagram followers who are definitely my most involved people who listen to this podcast. I asked if they wanted to hear a little bit about my surgery and my diagnosis and that is why I have not been able to upload recently. So if you don't want to hear about that, please feel free to click off now. But this podcast was started to raise awareness and so I want to raise awareness about what I have been going through. So I ended up getting a laparoscopy in October and the reason I could not record is because they with that procedure they do have to go through your abdomen and so it was really hard to just like sit or stand for a few days and then I also needed a breathing tube in this procedure and my throat was so irritated for probably about two and a half weeks and I just did not sound like myself at all and the reason I got this laparoscopy is and this is going to be a little bit TMI girl talk so bear with me, but I have always had really severe PMS and this part is not sponsored. Jovi does not know that I am going to be talking about this, but that is why I first off discovered the Jovi patch and why I love my Jovi patch so much. 
To kind of put into perspective, I have actually fainted while driving before because I was in so much pain. And every single month, I would just get really lightheaded because I was in so much pain where my body just like couldn't handle it. And so I would just kind of faint. I would also get sick. I would just be left crying. No amount of heating pads, no amount of Tylenol or ibuprofen would help at all. There was absolutely no difference when I took pain medicine and did not. The Jovi patch along with a heating pad did help to the point where I no longer fainted and so that's kind of why I believe in the Jovi patch so much. It was just one of the only things that could get me through and you know not put myself at danger. So for a long time and it's really disappointing because I actually have seen so many doctors about this and they're always kind of like oh that's normal just take you know, an extra Tylenol over the recommended dose and you should be fine. Of course, it was never fine and I remember when we moved to our current city and I got a new doctor, I raised my concerns with her and she ended up just saying, basically track your cycles and just don't, simply don't drive if you can't help it. Um, If you feel like you're going to faint, just stop driving. And to me, that was so I don't want to say dehumanizing, but it just was like, you're clearly not taking my concerns seriously if I cannot drive while under a certain condition. But thankfully, I got a nurse practitioner instead of a doctor after this, and she is one of the most amazing healthcare providers I've ever met, and she was super professional and basically said that that doctor has no idea what she's talking about and that it's incredibly not normal to be fainting because you're in so much pain, especially repeatedly. It's just not normal. So she went ahead and referred me to a OBGYN and he ended up taking me completely seriously and his thing is he knows that PMS is really bad but if anyone is fainting or getting sick every month, he wants to help them. So we booked out my surgery and to kind of like see what's going on in there and they did find stage one endometriosis. I was initially a little bit afraid that I have endometriosis because I was really afraid it would affect my fertility because with endometriosis, your uterine lining is essentially just getting scarred over. It is sort of a foreign object inside of your uterus. It's not an object, but it's foreign. It's extreme collection of cells to where your uterus cannot get rid of it at any point. And so that is why women with endometriosis go through so much pain every single month. The uterus is trying to get rid of it, um, just kind of like your normal cycle, but it's just not able to get rid of this. So it's working so hard. The uterus is just contracting so much, trying to get rid of it, but it just cannot because it is like attached to your endometrium. And I'm not a healthcare professional. I hope I have fully educated myself on this topic, but I am not a healthcare professional. But yeah, so I was really afraid that my fallopian tubes would be scarred over because that is the cause of pregnancy and fertility issues for women who do have endometriosis. But thankfully, I only had stage one and I'm just feeling so blessed that my doctors listened to me because if no one listened to me and this continued on, 
on. It's kind of, it's not like cancer because it's not fatal, but it is like it in a sense where you can do stage one and then go to stage two and so on and so forth. And once you get to stage three or stage four is when you start having really serious fertility issues. So I'm just so thankful for my healthcare team, but this is why I want to raise awareness on this podcast and talk about it. And I really want to be an open book about it if anyone has any questions. But I just want to say if you have really severe PMS and you are getting sick every month, heating pads aren't working, taking Tylenol or even taking more than the recommended dose of Tylenol or ibuprofen, if that is not working for you. You could have endometriosis. Right now, it looks like one in 10 women in the United States do have endometriosis. And unfortunately, and this is kind of a trigger warning, but I believe it was 69% of all women who have experienced sexual assault have endometriosis. And we do know that one in three women in the U.S. are unfortunately victims. And both of these numbers could be higher. The more research that is done on endometriosis, it seems like it's more than one in 10 women. And thankfully, we're getting to an age where women just aren't being gaslit in the medical system anymore because for a long time it was just oh this woman's so dramatic I have like every few patients I have are so dramatic about their cycles they just need to get over it and so that is why it's so important to be talking about these things and just I'm so thankful that our healthcare system in the U.S. at least is changing around these topics but yeah if you are having any problems like the ones that I have described, please go talk to your doctor. And if your doctor acts like you're overdramatic, if you're able to find a new doctor and just try to find someone who's willing to listen to you. The first step is usually ultrasound. And then after that is the laparoscopy. The worst part of it was the breathing tube for me. The actual incision area was literally probably a third of the pain that I was experiencing every single month. And I was telling my doctor at my post-op appointment that I would literally do the surgery every single month and just deal with the sore throat from my breathing tube. I would do it every single month if it meant not having to go back to how I was. But yeah, please don't let doctors gaslighting you or not taking you seriously or even not taking yourself seriously take away your fertility if you do want to have children one day. It's really, really serious. And again, you can put yourself in danger if you are fainting like myself at the wheel while driving. And my mom was in the car too, which made it so much worse because I obviously never want to put my own mom in danger. But yeah, so thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for your patience as I've been recovering from surgery. And if you know anyone who kind of the same motto that I have with Jane and John Doe's, if you know anyone that this sounds like, please kind of raise awareness with them and just chat with them about their symptoms. Obviously, you don't want to push any boundaries, but yeah, it's it's really, really serious and it does have lifelong effects. So I hope you all don't mind me getting into TMI girl talk while on this podcast, but thank you all so much for listening. And again, I will be sending all of my revenue from this podcast episode to the DNA Doe Project. So thank you all so much for that. And Jovi is definitely the highest grossing sponsor of this podcast. And 
it really it makes me really happy that people are finding relief and i'm able to see if anyone has returned their jovi patches just in the dashboard and no one has returned their jovi patches so i assume that means that it works for all of you who have purchased it so thank you all so much and lastly, I want to say that Jovi, actually, whenever I was talking to them, I was asking them about like, I was in so much pain that I was fainting. And with their experience in this field, they were like, hey, it's really not normal. So they really encouraged me to advocate for myself. So I'm so happy that I'm able to use my podcast to support this woman-owned company who has personally helped me so much. All right, enough chitty chat. Thank you all so much. Don't forget to go listen to Addicted to True Crime and her most recent episode. I hope you all have an amazing, amazing day. to the Doe Identify podcast. This episode was researched and recorded by me. This episode was edited by G. Hamilton. Our episode's music is by Coma Media. Tune in next time to hear more cases about unidentified victims on your favorite listening platform. Join me on social media at the Doe Identify podcast for updates to chat about cases. See you next time.